Welcome to the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing's podcast, The Wellbeing Connector, where through our guests, we explore ideas for making healthcare a better place to work and serve. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Dr. Bruce Bethencourt. Until recently, Bruce was Chief Medical Officer of Dignity Health Medical Group, Dignity Health at Home, and Dignity Home Recovery Program. While there, he developed and operationalized two transition care clinics, and he developed a national physician and APP mentoring program for Common Spirit Health, the parent company of Dignity. He also served as adjunct faculty for the Arizona State University College of Healthcare Solutions, assistant professor of medicine, Creighton University, Phoenix, and serves on the Creighton Medical School Alliance Wellness Executive Team. His community commitments included past president of the Arizona Medical Association and delegate to the AMA, inaugural Arizona Health eConnection Board of Director, chair of Arizonans for Access to Healthcare, and he was appointed to the Arizona Medical Board by Arizona's governor. Dr. Bethencourt received his medical degree with honors from the University of Arizona College of Medicine and completed his residency at the University of Arizona, where he also served as chief medical resident. Well, thank you, Bruce, for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. I'm speaking with you. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on your show uh, is because I've really enjoyed talking to you over the years. And in particular, I enjoy hearing you uh, discuss your joy that you drive from being a physician. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my probably the two most important things I like most or enjoyed most about medicine. Uh, one was making a difficult diagnosis uh, based on you know basic medical knowledge, uh, using pathophysiology, and just really thinking about uh, uh, you know the, the situation that they had. The other is relationship with patients. Uh, I really enjoyed knowing my patients, knowing about them, knowing you know their their family and and um, their occupation, and not just their job title because that didn't that doesn't help much. But what do they actually do for a living? Uh, their hobbies. Um, and just you know having a, a strong relationship with patients. And in all honesty. Uh, having that relationship, um, you know, over sometimes a long time, sometimes in a short period of time, uh, builds trust and faith. And um, and in that relationship, when you, when a patient trusts you and has faith in you, um, they'll do just about anything because they 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 know that you're, you know, my their interest is what's at heart for me. So. Those are the two things I, I enjoyed the most. That's very nice. Do you have any particular stories you can relate that you uh, particularly warm your heart? Yeah, there, there's a couple. You know, actually, both on based on you know the two things I like most about medicine. One was a uh, a you know, middle aged gentleman that I'd known he and his family for some time uh, came in up with complaint of a headache. Um, no headache when he got up in the morning. On the way to work, the headache started. Um, by the time it was lunchtime, the headache was pretty severe. He'd go have an hour of lunch uh, away from work, and he would feel some better. Um, and it would build throughout the afternoon. And when driving home, the headache was really so severe, by by time he got home, uh, he was almost confused. Um, I did a neuroexamination that was normal. Fundi uh, uh, were, were, were normal. No musculoskeletal issues. He enjoyed what he did, so it wasn't that he didn't want to go to work. 
So I walked him to the front desk and asked my assistant to uh, schedule a CT scan of his, of his brain. Uh, as I went to my office to finish my note, I heard a loud truck and suddenly re- remembered this was a, a guy that liked to rebuild old Toyota pickup trucks, and he was a welder. I ran out there and said, you don't need a CAT scan. You know, you need a test for carboxyhemoglobin. And sure enough, it was carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, saved him time and effort and kind of uh, made a quick diagnosis. But again, had I not known about him, I probably would have just, you know, continued with the CAT scan and a neural evaluation, et cetera, et cetera. Another was um, a very interesting referral from a, from a, a, a pharmacist I had known since residency asked me if I would see his young 20 or 21-year-old son that had developed ascites and no one could figure it out. So I, I, I was happy to see him, uh, evaluated him, really surmised that because of his physical examination, he had some type of right ventricular dysfunction in, in some way, whether pulmonary emboli, um, pulmonary valve, you know, uh, disease, whatever it may be, but his right side of function was, was not normal. So I called his cardiologist who said, no, his echocardiograph is absolutely normal. Uh, as we discussed his examination, I said, well, if you're not interested in doing anything further, thank you very much, but I'll admit him to the coordinated care unit. I'll flip the Swan-Gans catheter and see if I can make the diagnosis. Well, reluctantly, he said, okay, I'll cath him. So about a week later, he called and said, yes, he had constrictive pericarditis uh, from the aortic valve replacement. He, uh, you know, later went on to have a pericardiectomy, ascites resolved, issues resolved. So it was really based on, you know, coming to the diagnosis by physical exam and listening to the patient's symptoms. So, you know, my wife uses that every time I got disgruntled about medicine in a, in a, in a health plan, uh, bringing me back to what's most important, and that's helping patients. Wonderful. Now, I'm sure over the years you've had some challenging times over the years as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about what gives you strength during the challenging times? I'm very faith-based. I'm not necessarily, you know, quote, religious. Um, I don't walk around with rosary beads or anything. But I, I, I have a strong faith, and I, I feel that my being a physician was a calling. Um, and, um, and I went from engineering into, uh, into medicine. And uh, I just felt it was, it was a privilege, and that's always kept me going. Plus, yeah, I have a very supportive wife. That's not only supportive of me because I'm her husband, but supportive uh, because she believes in, in what I was doing and, and taking care of patients. She's being a nurse, very uh, an advocate for patients and, and realizing that, that patients have, have needs that need to be met. And so she was always 100, 150% supportive at all times. Oh, that's great. And um, what about mentors or role models? Have you, can you speak to that? Yeah, I, had, uh, I think I had two two role models, two mentors. Uh, I didn't know I was a mentee and they didn't know they were mentors, but they were. Uh, two physicians, older physicians, that uh, kind of took me under their wing when I first uh, came into practice. Um, you know, I, several, you know, both of them I would typically meet at least three or four times a week. Uh, one of them we exchanged uh, uh, corny jokes with uh, frequently. But there were always people I could, I, one looked up to because of their knowledge and, um, just how they treated patients. They, they were, you know, I wanted to emulate them. 
and uh, they really guided me. I could talk to them about anything, run things past, and they would always give me, a, a, you know, some advice and would guide me. And later, as they retired, they both became patients, and it was just a, it was a nice uh, collegial relationship. That's great. So as I've talked to you over time, one of the things I know that you're very much interested in is professionalism. Could you speak to professionalism a bit and particularly how it relates to uh, physician well-being? Yeah, I can. Boy, this is a, this is a deep subject, and I, and I have to bring this home, um, you know, for the doctors I, you know, um, I work with at, uh, at Dignity, is we have a unique relationship with society. Society has put us, we have a kind of a, a construct with society, and they put us with kind of an atomist level that, that um, we will put their interest far above our own and but that you know we'll act with integrity and compassion and altruism um, we'll always stay up to date to excellent care and uh, collegiality and that's kind of the promise we've given to them and we if we let that go i think that um, we just become technicians as opposed to as to as opposed to professionals in dealing with as I see uh, professionalism, I see it that I, I see it in many cases it's almost gone away. Uh, that many physicians act like technicians. It's the collegial part of uh, of collaboration. You know, there's a, something called the community of practice, and the community of practice can be many things. It could be a group of policemen. It could be a, a group of quilters. Um, but there's there's kind of three components to it. One is a domain that you have a shared interest in. In our case. Share, share the interest of caring for patients. You have a community, um, you know, relationship that that we we come together. We discuss uh, patient care. We discuss our knowledge, and we then we bring we bring all that that interest and knowledge to the practice of you know community of practice and practice in, uh, of medicine. And in some ways, we need to get back there. And I think I've, I've helped our group tremendously. Because I'm, I'm trying to bring them back to collegiality, discussing with each, discussing patients, meeting together, uh, supporting each other, and the you know, supporting each other for the the care that the other professional what they provide the contribution of patient care. And so it's it's really a team effort. So that's that you know, and I believe I truly believe that hanging on to uh, strong professionalism. And what you know, what we're doing, what we're you know, what we do, that will bring us closer together and make us more resilient. Very nice. So, um, do you have any success stories as a physician leader or a clinical leader, uh, in terms of how you help some people um, become more in touch with their professionalism and help them with their well-being accordingly? Yeah, I have a couple. I have um, one is kind of a, a, in general. Our, our um, hospitals group um, uh, at, at, the, at the main hospital, they were, I won't say they were necessarily unprofessional, but they weren't extremely professional. And as I, as I discuss professionalism with them more and more of what's important, what's in, the, what's in the best interest of the patient, why are we doing what we do? And don't just uh, you know, see a patient uh, order referral and walk up, take ownership of that patient because it's the altruism. Talk to, to the specialist when you order a consult. 
Uh, and they came back with, well, um, they don't want to be called. Well, you know, if they don't want to talk to you, then you get another specialist because it, it's in, it's the best interest of the patient that you talk on a professional way with this other consultant, uh, whoever it may be, or maybe it's with the nurses. But in the time building those relationships, and it really, uh, over about a five-year period, they really have become a very strong group that is managing their patients and not just being glorified residents. So I was very proud of that. One in particular, um, there was a nocturnist that uh, was a smart individual, but at times could be, you know, and not an unkind person, but could be extremely unprofessional. You know, lo- you know, loud voices. I, I, you know, I'm not sure if there's any profanity, but there was, he was accused of that. In meeting with him because the hospital is about ready to get rid of him, but I met with him uh, for about a year. Uh, I had I had him sent for, you know, kind of a, a psychological evaluation, make sure he wasn't depressed, but really trying to get him on the the right uh, uh, the right path. And he failed, and people were, were demanding I fire him. And I had faith and continued to meet with him and had continued having him work with. With, with, you know, other coaches and mentors. And I would say after about a year, the, all the problems went away. He's, he's happier. Uh, the staff is happier. And that was three years ago. So he's, he's on the right path. And I'm very proud of that because I was to the point of almost somewhat demanding uh, that, I, that I fire him. Can you speak a little bit more, maybe not about this particular case, but in general, when you meet with physicians, what kind of things do you do or say to help them accept these types of uh, changes you're promoting? Or are you, and are you feeling, did you feel resistance in that? Yeah, there's always resistance. But, you know, what's this older physician trying to tell me how to practice? Uh, this is, you know, this is the, the 2000, this is the 1990s or wh- whatever it may be. But just trying to get, get them down to the basics and being consistent and pointing out when there's issues of why there's an issue. And one of the things that, that helped them the most is a utilization for the past eight years of using a, uh, a 360. It's electronic, pushed out. I, I've never used it as in a punitive way. I've used it on occasion to try to identify where the issues may be, but never in it's punitive. It's always it's about making that a, a better leader. And in, in many cases, that's really helped when I've had issues. And, and I would say... 80% of the 360s I get back are, you know, I love the way that communicates with patients. I could always go into the, the physician's note and know exactly what's going on with the patient. He treats us in a very professional, ethical way. He, you know, he or she is always there to, to meet the needs of his colleagues. 80% are great. And there's about 15% that, uh, you know, fall out of one or another. Typically not anything serious, but uh, typically, you know, will fall out. And I'll give you an example. I did one on myself when I was still practicing halftime. And I got dinged. Like, what's going on here? Like, cussed someone or did I yell and not know? And they said, well, no. Why don't you come in, you see patients, and you leave. Uh, we haven't heard one corny joke. We have no idea what's going on with you. And, you know, we feel like we've done something wrong. And I would just hit my tracks for a minute and said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And when I was done seeing patients at 1230, 
I had to be do a meeting by one and I would bolt out the door, uh, not trying to be late. And to me, it was just, wait a minute, you're all more important than being late for some meeting I don't want to go to anyway. And so about 50% of the issues are, are fixable. Uh, and the other 5%, you can't, you can't cure narcissism. So, but it's really been, been important to, to utilize these and to, to you know, high tide rises all boats. So I, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. And I think one of the things that's so impressive about it is that you do the 360 not as a punitive process on individuals, but you do it as a broad process for all of your physicians where everyone gets a 360 and everyone is responding to 360s as well. So in some ways, does that help you clarify the standards of what you expect in terms of professionalism? Yeah, it does. Because as I said before, on two levels, one level is the individual. So so I, I can see how the individual is, you know, what the issue is. And I, you know, I or their supervisor, direct supervising, you know, the chair of the department can meet with them. If it's on communication, we, we would talk about crucial conversations. If it's on teamwork, we give them information, you know, we give them interior teamwork and work with them for a two or three month period. So individually, it's important. So when I look back collectively at the group and say, okay, this is this is some educational pieces. These are things we need to work on as a group, as as a practice. So it may be that we've all fallen down on communications, or it's all we've all fallen down on um, you know patient care. Mottos: Hello, human kindness and dignity, uh, which is could be a double-edged sword. Uh, patients expect a hello, human kindness, and if you're not showing it, they're going to let you know. And those are things we need to know that it, this is the area we need to work on. Uh, we need to take more time with patients, whatever it may be. So it helps us. It helps us help me individually for particular physicians, but also as a group uh, to, to identify an area that I see us as a group moving away from in professionalism. And I, I see the uh, way we're describing the 360 as a way of, in some ways, encouraging conversations, not threatening conversations, but encouraging conversations to deal with issues. But in terms of your skills, um, you seem to have a quite a nice way of working with people so that you're addressing issues, not attacking the person. Could you speak to that a little bit about how you deal with your other leaders and or maybe even just mentors throughout your organization? How do you, how do you help people be the... Uh, encouraging mentor that I think you've been to so many people uh, throughout the organization? Well, that, that's tough. I, I think is, is listening and, and trying to figure out where a particular physician may be or a group may be and, and why they're there. That, and we all have buttons once they get pushed that are, you know, emotional intelligence uh, taxed. Um, and, but recognizing when that happens and, 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 and trying to be genuine and, and um, but you know the one one thing that um, I'm actually very proud of dignity joined uh, actually common spirit of health and so so much larger group we were previously only in three states now we're in two states and um, I was uh, asked to lead a a, a group on uh, a mentoring mentoring onboarding and mentoring which I think is very important because. 
onboarding is very important. Mentoring is very important uh, uh, for physicians to, to be a part of an organization and feel part of an organization, have direction. And so um, over about a year period, we developed a, a toolkit for mentoring. And um, it really, it's not rocket science, is to be able to, you know, when, when someone comes on as a new employee and, and you know, as a mentee, to, to identify just like the mentors I had, I, I, I chose them, didn't know I was choosing them at the time, but chose them because they were respected clinically, uh, they had ethics, uh, and they're we're, we're willing to talk to me. And, and those that's what we set up for choosing a mentor is someone that is well-known in the community, is medically excellent, is ethically, it has that, that altruistic uh, approach to medicine, choosing those individuals, and then working with the mentors to become, you know, to, to mentor the mentees. Uh, but then guiding the mentees said, what do you want to get out of the relationship? So we actually developed a mentoring program, uh, a toolbox that could be to all the, the 22 states, all the uh, common spirit uh, uh, ministries for them to develop their own program. It, it isn't rocket science. You just have to find the right people and spend time mentoring. And so far this past year, it's, it's well past, it's been very successful and has decreased physicians, you know, leaving early, departing, and really feeling part of, you know, the community of practice to feel like they belong and that they have guidance of, you know, of what direction to go in and how to go in. And, and you know, every medical organization, every medicine, you know, like politics are local. So is, you know, so is medicine. Every hospital has a different flavor than the hospital two miles away. So really making making them feel comfortable and guiding young physicians and and in some cases, it wasn't just uh, local. I had a, a new academic chair of radiology that had been around. She didn't even be mentored about the medical group or the hospital, but on how to be an academic chair. So I actually hooked her up with a mentor, a, a chair in, in, in radiology, educational radiology at Baylor. And he's been mentoring her for the past year from a distance. So... Mentors come in many ways, but I think it's very important to have that, that mentoring relationship. And I'm very proud that we developed that. Very nice. So you've done a lot over your career, um, whether it's clinical, administrative. Um, anything stand out as, as, the, as the high point from all the things you've discussed or haven't discussed yet? Um, let me think for a second. You know, I, I think that the... the Probably the biggest thing is the mentoring program and the development of the 360 and utilization of the 360 uh, as a CMO has has made me most proud. The other part is the relationships I had with patients and and them allowing me to be part of their lives. And and that's that's more of the, you know, my clinical uh, uh, side. As, as component of the CMO side. So, Bruce, now that you're stepping back from some of your CMO roles, um, what's next for you? Well, <clears throat> um, my wife is my wife has been waiting for this for a long time. So <laughs> let's see. I re- I replaced all the hedges in the kitchen. I built her shelves for her closet and her uh, sewing room. Uh, I'm making furniture. 
and that that and, and we've been doing some camping. So uh, after that goes away, I'm, I probably will remain with dignity in a consulting fashion. Uh, hopefully, I am involved in a, a residency program that's being developed, and they've actually asked me to help with the residency program as far as professionalism and and mentoring. And I, I look forward to that. Very nice. Well, our half hour is just about up. Do you have any closing thoughts or reflections you'd like to share? Um, I, I guess the one thing I would have to say is that um, I'm extremely proud to have been a, a, a physician and been given the opportunity to take care of patients. Very nice. Well, with that, I want to thank you, Bruce, and uh, thank you for today, and also thank you for the uh, support and mentoring you've provided me over the years as well. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Good talk to you, Michael. Be good. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank Dr. Bruce Bethencourt for joining us today and for sharing both his insights and personal stories. If you wish to contact him, you can email him at bruce.bethencourt at commonspirit.org. That's bruce.bethencourt at commonspirit.org. If you wish to learn more about the Coalition, please visit our website at www.forphysicianwellbeing.org. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I also want to thank our volunteers and the staff from the Coalition who made this podcast possible. Finally, I'd like to thank ACESIS, A-C-E-S-I-S, Incorporated, for sponsoring my time working on this podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and his guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing, its board, or other members of the Coalition. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown, wishing our caregivers out there meaning, purpose, and joy in the practice of medicine. Together we are stronger. Until next time. <laughs>